I'm on. There we go. Gosh, well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. How about we give it up for Jesse stepping in today for Christina? She was away. She did a great job. She was like, you know, John, I'm not as loud as Christina is. I, I go, listen, nobody is. Okay, so not a problem. We'll just turn your mic up. Not an issue. We can, but she did a great job. So I'm just so appreciative that she stepped in to that role. So today, we are continuing this series that we are calling Elijah. Really worked hard on that name. And what we're doing over the course of these four weeks is a character study on arguably the greatest prophet in all of the Bible. And last week, um, or sorry, I mean, each week, I should say, we are learning more about him, what he went through, and hopefully in the process, learning more about ourselves. Now, before we jump into today's story, I know a lot of you are raring to go for today's story. I really built it up last week. You know, it's a great story. It's not like Breaking Bad or anything, but it's like a good, it's a good Bible story, okay? It's like a piece of pretty good one. So before I kind of get into it, I know you're jonesing for it, um, I just want to remind us real quick of something we learned in the last series. Now, if you weren't here, not a problem. We did a, uh, it's like a five-weeker on the Ten Commandments. It's called the Big Ten learning what they mean and what they mean for us. And what we learned is that the very first commandment that God gave to his people, to the nation of Israel, was, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment, just in case you, you didn't know. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods in addition to me. You shall have no other gods beyond me. I don't want to be your most important God. I don't want to be a God of me. You know, man, I, I want to be your one and only God. What this means is that God wants all of our hearts. Not part of it, not most of it, not like the best part. He wants all of our hearts. He wants all of our focus. He wants all of our service. Um, and it makes sense why the enemy in trying to hurt God, and I say enemy, I mean Satan, why the enemy in trying to hurt God would attempt to turn our hearts away from the one true God towards other gods false gods, little g gods, if you will. And when we do that, we are committing the sin of idolatry. And this is the core issue that Elijah is dealing with in this series. King Ahab, if you heard last week, we talked a lot about him, the most evil king that Israel ever had. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel have really sort of caused the nation of Israel to turn away from the one true God towards Baal, worshiping Baal, the, the god of the weather, lightning, rain, wind, the whole thing. And so what God does is he taps Elijah to go deliver a judgment to King Ahab because of this idolatry. And the judgment is that there would be no rain in the land for many, many years to come. So last week we saw that after Elijah sort of delivers this pronouncement, this judgment, God sent Elijah into a season of hiding into what was known as the Kareth Ravine. Now, I would just say this. If you weren't here last week, if you didn't listen to that message, I would challenge you to go and listen to it. Because there were many people afterwards that came up to me and they go, I had no idea that I was in the Kareth Ravine, but it's so obvious right now. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you might be in the Kareth Ravine yourself. So head to our website and give it a listen whenever you get time. But God sent Elijah into the Kareth Ravine in order to train him to become a man of God. Well, today we are going to see why exactly he needed to be trained. 
We're going to see why Elijah didn't just need faith in God. He would need tested faith in God. And there is a difference. So let's kind of jump into the story. Last week, if you remember, the story opened up with God telling Elijah to go and hide yourself from Ahab. Today, the story opens up with God telling Elijah to go and present yourself to Ahab. He says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So this is about three and a half years after last week's story. In this time, there has been a devastating, you know, flood, um, drought, I should say, the exact opposite. Um, The economy has come to a grinding halt. People are dying left and right. It is a brutal scene. It is like a wasteland there. Scripture says that when Elijah arrived at the palace to go present himself to Ahab, it says, now when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel. And this word troublemaker is really better translated in the Hebrew as snake or viper. And so Ahab is saying, you snake, you snake. You showed up at my place three years ago, unannounced, uninvited. You've led me this judgment on us about this, you know, no rain happening or even do. And now the world's falling apart. People are dying everywhere. The implication is, Elijah, it's your fault. Now watch Elijah fire back. He goes, I have not made trouble for Israel, he replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. He's like, I repudiate that accusation. Fake news. You brought this drought. You're, you're the reason it hasn't rained. You have forsaken God. You have abandoned God. You're, you are worshiping false gods. You are the one who has added other gods into the worship of the one true God. What Elijah is sort of attacking in this moment, condemning in this moment, is the practice of polytheism. You may have heard this word before. Maybe all the way back in high school. I don't know. Big, fancy theological word that means the worship of many gods. And there are many religions that worship many gods. They are polytheists, as opposed to monotheism, which is the worship of one god. Now, as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, we would say, hey, you know, we are monotheistic. We believe in one God. And yet, if we're honest, often we live polytheistic lives. I mean, we believe in one God, absolutely, but we serve and worship other little G gods, other false gods. Now, these days, I don't know really anybody that worships Baal. I'm sure they're out there. Right? I'm sure they've got like a Facebook group or something. But like we, we do, like, we, like the, the, the gods that we do worship are far more subtle, equally as insidious, and definitely more culturally accepted. I mean, we worship things like our bodies. We worship things like, like politics. I mean, we seem to eat, sleep, and breathe politics. I firmly believe that if Christians were as outspoken about Jesus as they were about their political opinions, the world would be a different place. But we're not, and we don't, so it won't. <laughs> Just like, I mean, if Christians were as fired up about the message of Jesus Christ, mercy and hope and building a bigger story, we wouldn't even need politicians. But we love our politics. 
Some of us bow before the throne of likes on social media. Ooh, gosh, we live for those likes. We live for that applause, that acceptance. Look at me, see what I'm doing. But you look at this list. I mean, you're probably surprised at some of these things that are on this list. Some of these things are good things. But, but if we ever elevate something in our lives to such a degree that it begins to compete with God, that's a problem. Now, in researching this message, I saw a great quote. Guy goes, show me your worries and I'll show you your idols. That thing in your life that consumes your time, your energy, your thoughts, that drives everything that you think about, everything that you do, that thing, whatever that thing is, has become another little G God in your life. You gotta remember though, you, you may have never stopped worshiping God, you just, you just add it to it. We, we've added the worship of money into our worship of God. We've added the worship of our opinions. We've added the worship of leisure into the worship of God. Same goes for Israel in this story. They never stopped worshiping God. You're going to see it. They never stopped worshiping God. They just added Baal into it. And that's a problem. Jesus famously said, you, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one or hate the other. So Elijah shows up to call these people out on their divided allegiance. And he's about to force them to choose sides. So he says to Ahab, here's what I want you to do. He goes, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. That's another God they were worshiping all of whom eat at Jezebel's table, meaning they've all been welcomed into the kingdom, which is so scary. Now, there's going to be a massive showdown. We're going to get to that in a second. But look at the odds here. That was like 850 to one guy. That's not great. So Ahab does what Elijah has asked. It says, Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So you got potentially thousands of people who have showed up, maybe tens of thousands of people who have showed up for this event. Now, what's about to happen, I'll show it to you in a second, what's about to happen is why Elijah was sent into that Kareth ravine. What's about to go down is why God has been working in Elijah's heart for the last three and a half years. So I want you to, I want you to picture this scene. Tens of thousands of people, potentially, at Mount Carmel. Elijah climbs up onto a rock. Crowd kind of quiets. It's like Braveheart. You know, there's just like a sea of people. All eyes are on Elijah. Wind is blowing, right? Flags flapping. Finally, Elijah speaks. And he looks out at that crowd. And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to waver? How long are you going to be double-minded? How long are you going to split your allegiance? How long? If the Lord is God, we'll follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, when I look at the American church, I don't mean DHC, I mean like the American church. I, I, I just have to imagine that if Elijah showed up, he would say, Christians, Christians, come on, stop wavering. 
Because here's what I see when I look at you. You all want the blessings of God to be with you and your family and, and to bless your career and your finances, but you want to do whatever it is you want to do. He would say, quit. Wait. I mean, you want God to hear your prayers, but you don't want to follow all of his commands. You want to pick and choose for what works for your journey. I mean, you want to worship God, and that's great, but you want to do it when it's convenient for you. So you can do whatever it is you want to do, and then you'll just squeeze the Lord God Almighty in when you've got nothing better to do. How long are you going to waver? How long are you going to be lukewarm in your worship of God? In the book of Revelations, Jesus writes seven letters to seven different churches. One of the letters he wrote was to a church that was wavering. And he said to them, look, I, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. This is like what Elijah is saying. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal's God, great, follow him. But don't waver. Be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. But Jesus says, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you too, out of my mouth. That's tough to hear from Jesus. But that's tough love. Jesus and Elijah are saying the exact same thing. You gotta be all in with your worship. You can't waver. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. What Elijah is implying with this sort of challenge, he's saying, look, if there's a little G God in your life and you live your life as though this little G God really is the God in your life, then you need to worship that God. You need to go all in with your worship. For example, let's get this list up. If, if uh, possessions are your God, Clothes, cars, boats, watches, purses, houses, whatever. If that's the most important thing in your life, then go all in. Spend all your money. Max out those credit cards. Go into debt. Don't worry about being generous. That's a waste of your time. That's only going to get in the way in your pursuit of more and the acquisition of more. If possessions are your God, follow them. If sex is your God, whatever that even means, go all in. Don't let societal norms get in the way. Don't let pesky religion stop you. If you're single, more power to you. If you're married, make an open relationship. I don't know. If sex is your God, live as though it is the last days of Rome. Go all in, Elijah would say. Maybe your God is your body. Then go all in. Go to the gym three hours a day, right? Nip it, tuck it, lift it, puff it, like whatever, like do... A sensitive spot here. Do like do what you gotta do to elevate you because if you are going to worship you, then go all in, Elijah would say. But if Christ is your Lord, then stop wavering. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Meditate on his words day and night. Bring him into your career. Bring him into your finances. Bring him into your marriage. Bring him into your family. Let him sit on the throne of your life. 
Let him be your one and only because newsflash, he is the one and only. Elijah says, it is time, it is time, it is time to quit wavering between two gods. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a showdown. Flagpole, three o'clock. My God versus your God, and we're going to find out once and for all who is God. Elijah says, here's the, here's the rules of the game. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will do the same. Then, call on, uh, then you'll call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, well, he is God. Now this is genius. Remember, Baal is the weather god. So he's the one who controls rain and wind and lightning. So the prophets hear this and they go, well, this is, I mean, this is a butte. Yes, we're down. We want this. This is a no-brainer. Baal is going to light this baby up. You watch, you wait, you see. So it says, then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. Now, I love what happens next. Last week, we talked about how Elijah was from Tishbe, part of the world known to produce people that are, you know, a little rough around the edges, kind of like Ruth from Ozark. So like what I picture when I see, okay, just like, okay. So it says this, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them, okay? You have to shout louder, he scoffed. I mean, for surely he's God, but perhaps he's dreaming, or maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> it's like he's going to the bathroom, right? Or maybe, it continues, maybe he's away on a trip. I don't know. Maybe he's asleep. Needs to be wakened. And we laugh. It's comical. But Christians in the room, huh? how many times have you seen someone pouring their heart and soul into the service of a false god only to be let down? How many times have we bowed at the altar of some false god only to be let down. That's what false gods do. They promise what only the true God can provide. So, story continues. It says they began to shout louder, slash themselves with swords and spears. That was their custom until the blood flowed. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Baal didn't show. He failed to bring rain for three and a half years. Now he's failed to bring the fire. Now it's God's turn. Scripture says that everyone made their way over to Elijah's altar. I can only imagine what that's like, that sea of people coming over to the altar that Elijah had built. Meat all piled up, sticks all ready to go. And then Elijah does something. He ups the ante. He says to them, here's what I want you to do. Fill four large jars. In Hebrew, that's really more like barrels. Fill four large barrels, let's call it, with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. I want you to soak everything. So they did. And he's like, you know what? Do it again. Four more barrels. Dump it. I want it soaked. And he's like, okay, they did it. Then he's like, you know what? One more time for good measure. 
do it a third time, would you? He ordered them, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. It's basically underwater. The point is, your God failed with dry sticks. So I'm going to make it even harder for my God. Watch what Elijah does. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. There was no dancing. There was no screaming. There was no cutting or bloodletting. It was just a simple prayer. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so. These people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Lord, would you reveal yourself by fire so these people will come back to you? They used to walk with you. They used to worship you alone. They used to serve you fully. But this false God has usurped your rightful place on the throne of their lives. What an electric prayer. When I read the words of Elijah, I am just so convicted because there are so many of us, come on, there's so many of us as Christians where he would look at us and he would say, you walk with God and then you walked away. You, you put some other false God or some combination of false gods on the throne of your life. And maybe you didn't even realize it until today. But God is calling you back. He is trying to reveal himself to you to turn your heart back to him. So there's our boy Elijah, all by himself, surrounded by 850 false prophets, potentially thousands upon tens of thousands of people who have walked away from God, and he prays, Lord, show up for them. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull and the wood and the stones, and the dust, and it even licked up all the water in the trench. God didn't just char that bull. He incinerated everything. He vaporized the stones, the dirt, the water. God showed up. The story concludes. It says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, face in the dirt, and they cried, the Lord he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that's my prayer for us as a church, that we would see God for who he is and that all the false gods in our life would fall away in comparison to the one true God and our hearts would turn back to him fully. And we would say the Lord, he is God. Now what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what we've heard. So everything that occurred on this day 2,800 years ago happened for one reason only, that those people would know that the Lord is God. He is not an idea. He is not a memory. He, he is not a tradition. He is not a religion. He is not some projection of our imagination. He is not a force. He is not an archetype or a symbol. He is God. 
the living, active, fire-sending, idolatry-destroying, prayer-healing, personal God who spent three and a half years preparing one man to reach a group of people who had walked away from him, who had betrayed him, who had belittled him, who devalued him, who loved other things more than him. My heart, since about the beginning of 2021, has been so unbelievably burdened for the American church. I have just been so unbelievably convicted about what I'll call our collective relationship with God. Because I firmly believe, I've seen it with my own eyes, I know it in my heart, that we have drifted from God. How that started, COVID, quarantines, closures, working from home, Zoom calls. I think the fact that, that churches had to close, I think the fact that online church became a viable option, I think slowly but surely, other aspects of our life began to compete with God. And then they superseded God. In December, I began praying about DHC specifically. I mean, I'm concerned about the American church, but this is my church, right? My friends go here, family goes here, work here. I prayed that we would have a revival. I prayed that we would have a renaissance, a rebirth, where our faith would be set on fire for the Lord again. Where we wouldn't just claim to be Christians, we wouldn't just claim the name of Jesus, but we would serve him, we would live for him, we would allow him to change our lives, and then we would be sure to give him all the glory. So here's the deal. I don't know what's going on in your spiritual life right now. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting you today, my challenge this week would be for you to pray, Lord, turn my heart back to you. Because when you look at the story, it, it was not they who turned their hearts back to God. It was the Lord who turned their hearts back to himself. So, God, I love you. Jesus, you are my Savior. But I, I have drifted. Other, other things have crept into my life. And I've, I've, I've allowed them to, to push you to the side, to push you out. I, I've, I have put these things, whatever they are, I have put these things on equal footing to you. And sometimes I've put them above you. Lord, would you help me identify these idols in my life, these false gods, these little G gods? Would you help destroy these idols? Would you help me walk away from these false gods? And would you turn my heart back for you are the Lord, my God. Let me pray for you. Dear Holy Father, I want to thank you for this amazing event that took place 2,800 years ago where we see a group of people who were your children, but they slowly walked away. But God, you never turned your back on them. You chased them down. You found them, Lord, and you turned their hearts back to you. And I pray, Lord, that if any of us today would look at our lives 
and we say, the Lord has not been the most important thing in my life. I have let other things creep in and take his place. And yeah, I still worship him, but he is no longer in the center of my life. I pray, Lord, that today you would turn our hearts back to you. You would set us on fire for you, Lord. That we would bring you into our homes and into our marriages and into our careers. That you would change us from the inside out and we would give you all the glory for it because you are the Lord, our God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.